How do you like saving $75? Well, you're in luck because we are in a giving mood during the best time of year. NFL playoffs are here and you need to take advantage of our historical success in the postseason. Warren went 9-5 overall on wildcard weekend and hit a plus 600 long shot on top of that. And he's back with two plays already released for the divisional round. It's not too late to get on board for a huge weekend. Just use code SHARP75 when you sign up. That's SHARP75 and you'll get $75 off any package, including our weekly package. Get on board for the divisional round or the entire playoffs, but don't forget to save $75 today with coupon code SHARP75 at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal. Thanks for joining me to break down some divisional playoff action this week. With only four games this week, we'll go through each one in chronological order, and I've got at least one prop bet I like on each matchup, and um, hopefully these games are a little bit more exciting. I know on paper they certainly look like they will be compared to last week, although some of the games some of the games we were expecting to be uh, quality matchups last week ended up disappointing, but each of these games I think are um, fairly difficult to pick. I do have a couple leans that I like. Um, and as I said, I got at least one prop for every game. So let's start out with the first game of the weekend. Uh, Bengals at Titans. Titans favored by three and a half in this one. This is one of the games where I have a lean on, although I haven't placed a bet yet. I'm leaning towards liking the Titans. And there were three key questions that I wanted to look at um, when analyzing this matchup. And two of the three make me like the Titans. But there is one area of concern. I'll go through them in order, starting with the two that... Uh, two that make me think I like the Titans a little bit and then closing with the one that I think maybe gives an edge to the Bengals. And there are some prop bets that sort of uh, align with these questions. So the first question I've got in this matchup is can the Bengals defense slow down the Titans run game? I think that's the obvious question to start with here, because you know if you can't stop the Titans run game, you're not beating the Titans. It's pretty much been that simple. Um, so I specifically wanted to look at the Bengals defense stacking the box. How are they? when they load up to take away the run, because that's the fairly obvious strategy against the Titans, especially if Derrick Henry is back. And if he looks like he is relatively close to full strength, we don't know that yet to be sure, but regardless of who's back there, that's how you want to attack the the Titans offense is by stacking the box against them. Um, And the Bengals have been decent at stacking the box, depending on how you look at it. They allowed 3.97 yards per attempt when stacking the box, just under four yards per attempt. That ranks 13th in the league. So from a big picture standpoint, looks pretty good. However, I think there's some red flags here. Um, But you could spin these numbers either way. I'm sort of taking a pessimistic view of this, but you could maybe talk yourself into looking at this from the opposite angle. The red flag for me is they were absolutely destroyed by the Browns in both games when stacking the box. The Browns had 51 carries in the run game against a stacked box, picked up 307 yards yards total in those two games. That's six yards per attempt over a pretty large sample size there. Now, that's a big red flag to me because that's a good running team dominating the Bengals' uh, stacked box defense. However, if you just remove those two games – against the Browns, you could argue maybe that's just one specific team that had a big matchup advantage against everybody else. 
The Bengals allowed a 3.4 yards per attempt with a stack box, which if we just looked at that number compared to the league as a whole, that would rank sixth overall. So that might lead you to believe that, hey, they just had a really bad matchup against that Browns team. And against everybody else, they've done great when stacking the box. So maybe they are going to shut down the Titans run game. The way that I look at that, though, is are the Titans more like the Browns or are they more like everybody else? And to me, they're certainly in the same mold as the Browns as a power run team that you know will line up in heavy personnel and just run at you and have success doing so, even though you know you're going to do it. When the Browns were at their best this season, that's how their offense worked, as it did in those two games against the Bengals. You know, same thing with the Titans. They're going to line up and run the ball, and they don't really care if you know they're going to do that. Um, and for the most part, they still have success doing it. So even though the Bengals have sometimes had a lot of success stacking the box and shutting down the run game, they were helpless against the Browns. And I think the Titans are very similar to the Browns, especially if they get Derrick Henry back. Uh, Chubb and Henry, there's a lot of similarities between those two guys. And so I, I think that that's a potential concern that, you know, the overall numbers might not tell the full story here. It might be the fact that, you know, certain teams simply have an advantage. The Browns obviously did. And I think that there's reason to believe the Titans do as well. Now the Titans running against a stacked box this season, they ranked 10th in yards per attempt. So to sort of, you know, further go down this, uh, this question, I wanted to look at how did, how did the Bengals do against other teams that do well? Obviously the Browns, rank among the top 10 teams running against the box. Uh, the Bengals actually played six games against teams that ranked in the top 10 in yards per attempt against the box. Five of those or uh, five different teams, but six total games, because I was like two of those games were the Browns and against in those six games, they allowed 4.7 yards per attempt with a stacked box. And they went two and four in those games. Those games were the Browns. Oh, and two in those games. Also the 49ers chargers, Vikings and Broncos. So the teams that want to line the ball up and run at you, um, I guess the the Chargers are maybe the kind of an outlier there that isn't necessarily their primary, the focal point of their offense, or they did do very well running into stack boxes this season. But the Browns, 49ers, Vikings, Broncos, those are fairly run-heavy teams, uh, at least through portions of the game, depending on the game script. They all want to run the ball at you. And the Bengals somewhat struggled in each of those games. You know, the Broncos a very recent game, um, you know, the Bengals won that game, but it was much closer than expected. And the Broncos had success running the ball, kind of slowing the game down. Uh, so I, you know, I think that that's a lot of evidence there that, you know, even though the Bengals have sometimes had success stacking the box and shutting down uh, opponents run games against these types of teams, that's probably going to be a weakness. So I think the Titans are going to be able to run the ball against them, which is one of the reasons I'm leaning Titans. Now, the other question I have is when the Titans throw the ball, can the Bengals defense stop the Titans play action game? And here's an even bigger red flag because we know that they like to use play action a lot. Ryan Tannehill uses play action on 30% of his pass attempts. That's the eighth highest rate in the league. And the Bengals defense ranks dead last in yards per attempt versus play action. They give up 10.5 yards per attempt versus play action. They also allow a league worst 22% of play action passes to go for 20 or more yards. So we suspect that the Bengals will have some struggles stopping the run against the Titans. And we're 
very confident that they're going to have some issues stopping Ryan Tannehill in the play action passing game. So those, those are two big red flags that really lead me to leaning towards liking the Titans in this matchup. Now, I want to get into some prop bets here because what's the betting angle? We know that the angles are terrible against play action passes, and we know that Ryan Tannehill likes to uh, use that as a fairly significant part of the passing game. So what are some angles that we could take here from a betting perspective? I think the first one would be A.J. Brown betting the over on his receiving yards at 72 and a half. When Tannehill uses play action, Brown has a 29% target share. It's a, you know, because of all the injuries that they've had this year, it's a little hard to read too much into those overall target share numbers. But the big number that really stood out to me on 44% of AJ Brown's routes versus off of play action, he was targeted. So that tells me that most of the time when the bang, when the Titans are calling play action, it's intended to be a play for AJ Brown. He's the focal point of the offense on those plays. Um, now, you may wonder how Julio Jones factors in. Obviously, he's dealt with injuries. We haven't seen him as a huge part of the offense. But when he is in the game, it seems like the play action is simply just not designed for him. He was only targeted on 16% of his routes versus play action and off of play action this season. So it definitely seems like play action is designed for A.J. Brown as opposed to Julio Jones. Now, the other potential angle here. I was a little bit surprised to see this, but I think the numbers are, uh, you you can't really ignore the numbers here. And that's, it leads me to think that Jeff Swain betting the over on his receptions at one and a half might be a good, uh, good angle to take here based off what we think the Titans are going to do with play action. Swain was actually the second most targeted receiver for Tannehill off play action. Now, obviously that is partially because of the injuries. There are some guys like Julio Jones who didn't, who probably would have had more targets than him off play action if they had played a full season. But um, not only did he get a lot of targets, but it was basically the, it was the scenario where he was most targeted. 53% of Swain's targets came off play action. So it seems like play action plays are designed for AJ Brown and tight ends, specifically Jeff Swain seem to often be maybe like the check down option on those plays for Tannehill. So you know, given the fact that we think that the Bengals are going to struggle to defend play action, I would suspect the Titans try to up their use of play action in the passing game to try to take advantage of that, which probably leads to a few more targets for AJ Brown, probably leads to a few more targets for Jeff Swain too. Um, So I like the over on Brown's receiving yards and the over on Swain's receptions uh, simply based off that play action angle. Now, I said there was one area of concern here for the Titans that kind of makes me hesitate a little bit in wanting to bet them. And it has to do with the Bengals pass rush because they've been very good this season and they got some good news on Wednesday, Trey Hendrickson, who was dealing with a concussion. He was a full participant in practice. So it sounds like he'll be back and hundred percent ready to go. And the concern here, the way that the Bengals cause a lot of problems for some teams is that they rarely blitz They only blitz 19% of the time. It's the third lowest rate in the league, but they get pressure at a very high rate when they're only bringing four. They have a 31% pressure rate on non-blitzes. That's the fourth highest rate in the league. And unfortunately for the Titans, that matches up fairly well with a weakness that the Titans have. Tannehill is pressured on 32% of his dropbacks when teams do not blitz. That ranks 29th out of 42 qualified quarterbacks. So, there is the potential for the Bengals pass rush 
to cause some issues for the Titans passing game. We, we know that the Titans are going to try to use play action. They could probably have success there, but it, it's possible if the Bengals pass pass rush uh, can cause some problems in the backfield, they can get to Tannehill quickly. They could possibly disrupt that. So that's the one reason why I'm hesitating a little bit um, to, uh, to fully go in on the Titans in this game. Now there's also another betting angle I like here based on the pass rush um, thinking that the Titans are, are uh, thinking that Tannehill is going to be under pressure a decent amount in this game. When Tannehill does face pressure, he favors the tight ends and running backs in the passing game a lot. Now that's one re- another reason to like Jeff Swain. There could be some other opportunities outside of play action where he's under pressure and he's checking down to his tight ends. Maybe that gives him an extra target or two in the game. Tight ends actually see a 24% target share from Tannehill when he's facing pressure. So that boosts our confidence in that Swain prop. But I also like the over on Anthony Ferkser's receptions at two and a half because uh, Ferkser is actually the second most targeted receiver from Tannehill under pressure. And 30% of his target, 37% of his targets come when Tannehill is facing pressure. So he seems to be sort of like that uh, you know, security blanket for Tannehill when he's under pressure, he looks his direction. Um, so boosts our confidence in the Jeff Swain over uh, and it, it also makes me like Ferkser. So I'm on the over for both Titans tight ends on their receptions and also on the over on AJ Brown's receiving yards. So those are the three prop bets that I like in this game. And as I said, I'm leaning towards the Titans. I haven't fully talked myself into that, but if I'm on a side in this game, I like the Titans uh, giving three and a half points. The second game of the day on Saturday is the 49ers at the Packers. I was really surprised by this line. It's all the way up to Packers giving six points now. It opened at four and a half, which I thought felt appropriate, but I was leaning towards liking the 49ers. At six, I haven't placed this bet because now I'm hoping it goes up a little bit. Um, But if it stays at six and we get good injury news for the 49ers over the next coming days, uh, I'm going to like the 49ers. Um, And I may go ahead and place that bet today even before we get today's injury news um, just because in early indications are Nick Bosa is going to be okay. He was a limited participant in practice on Wednesday due to the concussion that he that he suffered last week. Um, that, that's obviously promising if he's back to being a limited participant. So um, who knows if he's given a full clear bill of health, maybe that line comes back down a little bit. So I might, before that is announced, I may try to get ahead of it and just sort of bet on that, try to get 49ers, uh, try to get that six points couple of the reasons why I like them, um, and it also factors into a prop bet here, but, you know, Bosa is really key here because the 49ers pass pass rush is significantly more effective when he's on the field. Um, When Bosa's on the field, they get pressure at a 34% rate. When he's off the field, it's a 28% rate. And that includes last week where it actually didn't matter at all. The The Cowboys couldn't block anybody last week, and it didn't matter when Bosa was off the field. Uh, their pass, uh, their pressure rate actually went up after Post's injury, uh, but that, that's that was a that that was probably a fluke. There's no reason to think the 49ers' pass rush is going to improve without Bosa. Throughout the season, they have been much more effective when Bosa is out there, um, and that's really important in this matchup because Aaron Rodgers will dominate you if you don't get pressure on him. I, if you can't get pressure on him, I don't know that anybody in the league really has a great chance 
of beating the Packers, but he is somewhat vulnerable if you can get pressure on him at a high rate. Rodgers led the league in EPA per dropback when he was not pressured, but when he was under pressure, he reached 31st. He was actually kind of bad in those situations. I mean, it's kind of crazy to say because, you know, he's almost certainly going to win MVP this year to say that the MVP was bad under pressure. It's probably, it might surprise some people if you hadn't looked at these numbers, but that's how it was. The reason he's going to win MVP is because he was so ridiculously dominant when he wasn't pressured and because the Packers are pretty good about designing their offense in ways that they can avoid pressure against certain teams. But when they, he does get pressured, he was not good this season. In fact, that his 31st ranked EPA per dropback, that was just narrowly ahead of the two quarterbacks behind him were Justin Fields and Drew Locke. So that should paint a picture of just how ugly it was at times when Rodgers was pressured. Now, just to you know, further demonstrate how much you can get to Rodgers and cause problems for the Packers if you get pressure on him. I mentioned that the 49ers, when Bose is on the field, they have a 34% pressure rate. Rodgers was pressured at 34% rate or higher in three games this season. That was the loss to the Lions, the loss to the Saints, and a narrow 24-21 victory over Arizona. So when teams got pressure on Rodgers, they either beat the Packers or they play them very close. Now, it, it didn't happen very often, obviously. That was only three games where teams got their pressure rate up that high. It has a lot to do with how the uh, the Packers offense, they're really good at scheming around that. And the last 49ers game is a good example of that. The 49ers only generated a 15.6% pressure rate when these teams faced last time. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the 49ers pass rush was bad in that game because what actually happened was it did have an effect. It just forced the Packers to alter their offense. And that was a close game. The Packers didn't dominate just because they were able to limit the pressure rate because what they had to do in order to drop that pressure rate and avoid San Francisco's strong pass rush was Rodgers had to get rid of the ball quickly in that game. Only 22% of Rodgers' dropbacks in that that game lasted three or more seconds. That was his third lowest rate of the season. So he was consistently getting rid of the ball quickly in order to avoid the 49ers' pass rush. So assuming Bosa is healthy, one of two things happens in this game. Either they get a lot of pressure on Rodgers, and I think they have a great chance to win the game if that's the case, or probably the more likely scenario is the Packers alter their passing game again and do a lot much more quick strike passing attack as they did in the first matchup just to avoid having Rodgers having to make decisions under pressure. They clearly in that last matchup did not want Rodgers sitting back there and getting exposed to the 49ers pass rush. So that's most likely going to be the approach that they take in this game is just, you know, let's just negate Bosa by getting rid of the ball as fast as we can. And so I I think that's probably what they're going to do. Now that's that whole scenario that I just laid out. That's one of the reasons why I like the under on Aaron Rodgers passing yards in this game, which is set to two sixty five and a half. I think that we probably see fewer downfield attempts in this game from Aaron Rodgers because they're going to try to get the ball out quickly. But the other reason why I like it really the primary reason why I like the under on this is the same reason why I was on the under for Dak Prescott last week. Hopefully you played that along with me because uh, despite Dak getting a lot of free yards on that uh, final drive against the Niners, 
Uh, he still fell over 30 yards shy of hitting the over. Um, and if you listen to last week's show, you know the reason was the 49ers offense. They play very slow. They run the ball a lot. And it just limits possessions for the other team. Um, the under on starting quarterbacks passing yards against San Francisco, including last week, is now 14-4 and four on the season. And you know, just like we talked about last week, it doesn't really have that much to do with the 49ers defense. It's the 49ers offense because they run the ball at the fourth highest rate and they play at the fourth slowest pace. So as long as the game script doesn't get out of control, you know, as long as they don't fall behind by a lot, 49ers are going to run the ball and try to control the clock and just limit possessions and force you into a slow, close game with them. And there's no reason to think they won't be able to do that against Green Bay because Green Bay's run defense is terrible. Uh, they rank 30th in yards per attempt allowed this season. The 49ers are almost certainly going to be able to have success running the ball against them. And so I definitely think that they can keep this uh, as kind of a close, low, uh, close, slow game throughout most of this game. And there's also a kind of a strange quirk here in this matchup. <clears throat> Green Bay has sort of a strange tendency to use light boxes against heavier personnel. And obviously we know the 49ers because they use a fullback at such a high rate that they are often running into stacked boxes and against the Green Bay defense, they'll probably be surprisingly running into light boxes at a much higher rate than they would in other games. When the offense is using at least one tight end or fullback, Green Bay puts six or fewer defenders in the box 27% of the time. That's the third highest rate. Um, it's strange given Green Bay's issues against the run. It's probably contributes to some of Green Bay's issues against the run. I would think the league average there is 17%. So it's not unheard of for teams to do it here and there. Uh, but Green Bay definitely does it more than most. Um, now they did adjust a little bit in the first meeting. Green Bay used a light box versus San Francisco's heavy personnel only 16% of the time. But even that was the second highest light box rate that San Francisco faced. Um, so they're, San Francisco is going to have some really favorable uh, opportunities against this Green Bay defense just based on how Green Bay lines up. Um, so, you know, that, that's just – obviously we're, we're not talking about the majority of San Francisco's opportunities coming in those situations. But I did find that to be just sort of an interesting quirk worth mentioning that, you know, if – if we do see San Francisco break off some long runs, I'll be curious to go back and look at the uh, pre-snap formation from Green Bay to see if uh, to see how they lined up. Because given how San Francisco runs the ball, especially with how Debo Samuel factors into their run game now, that would seem to be a pretty uh, a pretty big advantage on those snaps for San Francisco. So I'll be curious to see how that plays out. That's obviously that's not the primary reason why I think they're going to be able to run the ball. Green Bay just can't stop the run against you know, any formation, really. It's been an issue for them all year. So I think San Francisco is going to run the ball. I think they're going to play slow. We also think that they're probably going to be able to force Rodgers to do more shorter passes, quick passes in this game. So I like the under on Aaron Rodgers passing yards. This is my favorite prop bet from this game. All right, let's talk now about one of the Sunday games, Rams at Buccaneers. Bucks favored by three in this matchup. Uh, I don't have a lean as far as a side in this game. I think this is really tough. I think both the Sunday games are really tough to pick. Um, one of the questions that I had, I wanted to look at a little bit closer, was how does the Rams blitz affect Tom Brady? The Rams blitz at the 10th highest rate this season. However, in a one-score game, they actually blitz at the fifth highest rate, 33% of the time. So they're quick to back off 
um, when the game gets out of hand. But in a close game, the Rams are one of the most blitz-heavy defenses in the league. And although Brady is good in under all circumstances, uh, the blitz can be one way to limit his production a little bit. Um, I've mentioned the stat boom-bust ratio a couple times this year. Um, basically, it's the rate at which you get at least plus one EPA versus negative one EPA. So how often are you creating a very good play relative to how often you're creating a very bad play? Um, and on non-blitzes, Brady leads the league in boom-bust ratio. He has almost twice as many boom plays as bust plays. So if you don't blitz Brady, he's not going to commit very many mistakes and he's going to create a lot of big plays for the Bucks offense. But versus the blitz, he's a little more pedestrian. He falls a 16th in boom-bust ratio. As I said, he's still good. He's still committing more of those big plays, about 40% more big plays uh, than bust plays. Um, but you're limiting him in those scenarios. So the fact that the Rams blitz a lot, I think you, you have the potential to you know, obviously increase your odds of forcing Brady into a mistake, but you're also going to limit those big plays that can really be devastating and swing momentum in the game a little bit. So it would make sense for the Rams to blitz Brady at a very high rate. And since we've seen these teams play before, we have a little bit of evidence to that. The Rams blitz when it was a one score game, I should say, because it did end up, it did end up building a big lead, but in a one score game, the Rams blitz Brady 35% of the time, just slightly higher than their season average. And that was the second highest rate Brady faced all year. So the Rams were one of the most aggressive teams in going after Brady. Now, they didn't really force Brady into mistakes with that blitz. They only got one sack on their 14 blitzes, and Brady actually completed 11 of 13 passes. But Brady was limited to 2.3 air yards per attempt. Um, so by blitzing a lot, Brady, who likes to get rid of the ball quickly to begin with, uh, he was forced to get rid of the ball extremely quickly, basically just check down. Um, tight end saw seven of those, or running backs and tight end saw seven of those targets versus the blitz. So if you're looking for a betting angle, um, maybe you look that direction because there's some injury issues with uh, the Bucks backfield and receiving core. I'm, I'm a little hesitant to try to pick one of those guys, but um, if you want to monitor the injury situation, that could certainly be an angle to take. Maybe take the over uh, on receptions for one of the Bucks running backs or tight ends once the injury picture gets cleared up a little bit. That could be a betting angle that you take based on an expected high rate of blitzes from the Rams. Now, despite this, despite saying that the Rams could potentially limit Brady's effectiveness with their blitz a little bit, I'm actually on the over on Tom Brady's passing yards at 292 and a half. The first time these teams met, Brady threw for 432 yards. Now that's very inflated because the Rams dominated that game. Uh, they were leading by two touchdowns for much of the second half. So obviously Brady's passing rate went up a lot. And uh, the Rams, you know, as we said, they back off their blitz a little bit when they build a big lead. So they were, you know, giving up a little bit of some of the underneath stuff to Brady, allowing him to pad his stats a little bit. He's not, he's probably not going to throw for 432 yards if this is a close game. Um, but I do think Brady does have a bit of an advantage against the Rams defense, uh, regardless of the blitzing, because of how quickly he gets rid of the ball. Uh, Brady gets rid of the ball in under two and a half seconds, 64% of the time. That's the third highest rate in the league. 
Um, and, you know, obviously he's getting rid of the ball quickly against the blitz, but he's going to do that anyway. He's going to get rid of the ball quickly, regardless of whether you're coming after him or not. And the Rams actually have some struggles when quarterbacks get rid of the ball quickly against them. They're allowing 7.1 yards per attempt, which ranks 31st in the league. Um, and in week three, Brady was 30 of 35 for 255 yards when he got rid of the ball in under 2.5 seconds against the Rams. Now, obviously he's not picking up huge chunk yardage, you know, 255 yards and 35 attempts isn't, you know, spectacular or anything, but I think the key there is just how efficient he was 30 of 35. Uh, That's just incredibly efficient. And so the fact that Brady had success uh, on those quick short throws against the Rams, the fact that we've seen the Rams consistently struggle to defend those uh, quick throws from quarterbacks all season long, I think that's uh, reason to believe that Brady is going to be able to get the Buccaneers offense up and down the field quite a bit. Um, I know that runs a little bit counter to what I was saying about the Bucs uh, or about, about the Rams being able to get affect Brady with the blitz. But I think the blitz angle is more just, although I'm not going to go this route, it kind of makes me lean towards liking the Rams a little bit just because um the big effect that the blitz have is like we talked about with the boom bust ratio. It's limiting big plays and increasing the chances of forcing Brady into a mistake. But over the course of a full game, you know, most drives Brady is going to just be able to march down the field with a lot of, you know, short, efficient passes against this Rams defense. So I do think, you know, even if he does make one or two mistakes that allows the Rams to, uh, you know, keep this close or even win the game. I think overall he's still going to rack up the passing yards because it seems like the Rams defense is going to allow that to happen. I think another key factor here is that um, we've seen some teams, especially later in the season, kind of identify this as a weakness in the Rams defense. I I think the best example is probably the 49ers. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo in the two, his two games against the Rams, he released the ball in under 2.5 seconds, 67% of the time. His season average against everybody else was 53% of the time. So that definitely makes me think, especially since those two games came later in the season, the 49ers played the Rams in week 10 and week 18. It makes me think that the 49ers probably identified this as a weakness of the Rams defense, that if they got the ball out quickly, they could negate the Rams pass rush and also have success in the passing game um, by forcing the Rams secondary to make some plays. Um, those short, quick passes, and it's something that they've struggled with. The the uh, the Bucks didn't have the advantage of a large sample size to analyze the Rams' defense as they played in Week Three. Uh, so it's possible now that they've had you know a lot more time to analyze the Rams. Maybe Brady gets rid of the ball quickly at an even higher rate in this matchup. So you know maybe Brady. You know, that 30 of 35 for 255 yards when he released the ball under 2.5 seconds, uh, maybe that makes up a huge percentage of the passing game. So maybe Brady has just like a ridiculously high completion percentage in this game because, you know, he's just dropping back and getting rid of the ball quickly on every on every passing play. It definitely seems like that's something that the Bucs could have success with in this game. So I, I think that, that that makes me think that Brady is going to have success throwing the ball, I think he's going to be able to rack up the passing yards. I definitely like the over on that 292. The other angle you could possibly use to bet is maybe take the over in this game. 
Um, if you if we think that the Bucks are going to be able to have success moving up and down the field, that could obviously force the Rams to get a little bit more aggressive on offense too. Um, I'm I'm probably not going to go that route, um, but I, I definitely think that you can make an argument for taking the over, uh, which is set to 48 and a half in this game. All right, last game of the weekend: Bills Chiefs. On paper, probably the best matchup. I I can't pick a side in this game. Chiefs are favored by one and a half. Depending on how I look at it, I I can make an argument to go either way. Um, This is definitely the hardest game for me to pick a side in. I do have a prop I like in this game, though, so I'll I'll run through that. And I like the under on Clyde Edwards-Alaire's rushing yards. He practiced in full on Wednesday. Uh, It's also noteworthy that Daryl Williams did not practice, although Jarek McKinnon, who emerged as the lead back last week, uh, somewhat out of nowhere, uh, he's obviously going to factor into the run game as well. The line for this hasn't been posted most likely because of uh, the injury issues that Kansas City has had in the backfield. But when healthy, Clyde Rizalair's prop, rushing yards prop, has been available in the 50s. Um, so the fact that he practiced in full on Wednesday, he's probably going to get a couple more full practices in. I would anticipate the line being right around there. Uh, you know, if he gets three full practices in, it would certainly make sense for him to have his typical uh, yardage prop available. But I'm still on the under because just because he's practicing, it doesn't mean he's a hundred percent. In fact, there's no way he's a hundred percent, right? Like they held him out last week. Um, and there's just, there's no way that they've been holding him out of a playoff game. If he was at like you know, 95% or something like that. Right. So I think we have to assume he's less than a hundred percent, given that it's the postseason. you're going to bring a running back back before he's back to full strength. Um, and so he is likely playing at less than a hundred percent. He's like, he's definitely, uh, sharing touches with Jarek McKinnon and possibly Daryl Williams factoring in if he's active. Although the fact that he didn't play a big role last week and he didn't practice on Wednesday, that's certainly doubtful. Um, so I, I don't think Clyde Rizalera is going to dominate the touches in the backfield, especially since McKinnon looked good last week. Um, and I also expect a fairly heavy uh, passing game. I expect this to be a pretty heavy passing game for the Chiefs. I would expect Mahomes to really dominate the game. Um, and it has a lot to do with the Bills' run defense. They've actually been able to cause problems for teams. The Chiefs run the ball, for the most part, out of 11 and 12 personnel. Those two formations make up 75% of their rush attempts. And the Bills excel at getting into the backfield in those formations. Uh, 50% of the time, the Bills contact the ball carrier at or behind the line of scrimmage versus 11 personnel. And 55% of the time, versus 12 personnel that ranks second and third respectively in the league. So when teams run the ball from those traditional formations, the bills are in the backfield at least half the time. That's really bad news for the chiefs running in because they are terrible when the defensive line gets into the backfield among 53 qualified running backs. Edwards, Alaire ranks 45th in yards per attempt when he's contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage and Daryl Williams ranked dead last 53rd in yards per attempt. So it was consistent for both of their two primary running backs. When defenses get into the backfield, they shut down the Chiefs' run game. So I would anticipate Conrad Solaire maybe not seeing his full typical workload because McKinnon is going to get some touches and maybe Daryl Williams. And also we might see the Chiefs just forced to pivot away from their run game pretty early. Um, But now that doesn't necessarily make me like the bills anymore because you know Mahomes can throw the ball every time and they could beat the bills that's certainly a possibility 
he could have 55 pass attempts. You know, the the Chiefs could run for 10 yards and the Chiefs could still win. So that doesn't sway my opinion towards the Bills as far as picking a side in this game. But I do think that the Bills defense is going to cause a lot of problems for the Chiefs run game. And the fact that Edward Zolaire is probably out there at less than 100%, as long as his line on his rushing yards is available close to where it usually is when he's healthy. I said, it's been in the fifties. Maybe it drops to like 45 or so. I would, I would probably still take the under at that point. I'd probably take the under down to about 45. Um, So unless it drops much lower than that, or if we get, you know, some, some really concerning injury news, you know, maybe if he's held back in practice again or something like that, maybe we just decide to stay away from that altogether. But if, if his health seems to be progressing as it has been uh, and his line is available at 45 or above, I like the under on Clyde Edwards-Alaire's rushing yards. Uh, so that's all for today's show. It sounds like we'll have a, a pretty good slate of games this week, a lot of close games, hopefully, to make up for uh, last week's action, which was fairly boring. Thanks for joining me today and hope you have a fun and profitable playoff weekend. 